Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. When they say things like that, I mean, do you correct them? No, you start using it as a family. <laughs> Nostrils is not a word anymore because the child has improved upon human anatomy. Who needs a nostril when you can have a snort soul? Life 107.5. Now, Jen. Yeah. It is good to have you back. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I really had a great vacation, but it's always good to be back. Uh, however. Oh, no. What? Um, th- there were just rumblings while you were gone. About me? About things that you, you left behind that you didn't change before you left on your vacation. You know that my office is always a mess. I don't know if that's what it is. Jen, I'm not talking about your office. What did I'm, I do? I'm talking about the toaster in our kitchen. What about what about you, the toaster in the kitchen? Okay, just a few days ago, <laughs> our our good friend Luann, who works in the office with us, came out holding a plate and she said, "Taylor, you need to talk to Jen about the toaster settings because you had that thing cranked. She had two charcoal briquettes that were once nine grain and seed lo- slices of bread. Oh, I see. I am the person you <laughs> in the office burn like- things, Jen." Everything. <laughs> Not everything. Marshmallows. Yeah, that's true. Toast. Yeah, that's true. How do you too. cook your hot dogs? Oh, I like them charred. See, you. <laughs> why do you? Why do you even buy things? Like, just break up a charcoal briquette and call that your meal, Jen. I might. I think they smell good. How do you toast your toast? Well, I have a Mickey Mouse toaster, and it makes Mickey Mouse's face on the toast. Oh. And when it pops up, it plays It's a Small World. So we have a really happy morning routine because then, you know, you have Mickey Mouse on your toast and it's a perfect face if you put it on as dark as it goes. I want to live in oh your my house. Goodness. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Wait, are you saying every time your toast comes up, it plays It's a Small World after all? It does. And you're, does. Not, you're not tired of that? I'm not. I'm, I'm a <laughs> Disney freak, so I love it. <laughs> Every time my husband makes toast, and if I'm anywhere in the house, I'm like, oh, that makes me happy. And he's like, I know, I know. (laughs) So the way you make your toast is highly personal. Yeah. Everybody likes their toast toasted in different ways, different levels, which is fine. Excepting you live in the same household with somebody else that's got a differing opinion on how to make toast. I like my toast medium brown. I set it on four. But my mom always ate it black. Yeah! Oh, my goodness. We always had to make sure she hadn't just toasted hers. (laughs) If we accidentally got hers, she got more toast. (laughs) No one makes toast quite like my grandmother. Are you sure? I don't know that there are very many people who do this like her, because she has the perfect storm of being very frugal and also... Preferring a very small breakfast. Can I just tell you how much I love your grandma and grandpa stories? <laughs> my, my grandma, both my, all four of my grandparents are delightful. And you're so, so blessed to have all four of them. But please, tell us how your grandma makes toast. This, this is my dad's mom, who really, for breakfast, all she needs is one piece of toast with a little bit of jelly on it. Oh my goodness. Now, my grandmother, being the frugal person that she is, knows that if she toasts one slice of bread, you can't turn off the other side of the toaster. Right. Like you're, well. you're using heat for two slices of bread, but you're only heating one slice of bread. So my grandmother will put in two slices of bread. So as not to waste the heat and electricity. She takes out one, puts her jelly on it, and she takes the other and puts it in the refrigerator for the next morning. 
she's saving I the electricity bill. Love it. <laughs> I love your grandma. Don't you just love it when when you're gone on vacation, you cause a problem back at the office? That's how Jen does. <laughs> she had the toaster cranked up to 11 and Luann burned her toast. Which has led us to this discussion of toast. I mean, how you toast your toast is a very personal decision, but sometimes it does affect other people. I live in a household where we have different uh, taste buds. And mm-hmm. I like my toast well done. Yay! Yes, burnt, please. Yes! Uh, several years ago, <laughs> we were making breakfast, and I put my toast down. I put mine on 10 and on bagel. And usually, I push it down three times. I went in another room and came what? back out, and my toast was gone. And I asked my husband, I'm like, where's my toast? He's like, I threw it out on the deck. <laughs> I said, why did you throw it out on the deck? <laughs> well, it's burnt. He thought you ruined it, but it was almost there. He didn't even throw it in the trash. He threw it on the deck. He threw it on the deck. It was perfection on the deck. (laughs) Hands down, hardest thing you have to do as a parent. Hardest thing, letting go. Letting your children go into an environment where you really don't have much control. Because as a parent, you kind of want them to be raised to a point where they don't need you. Exactly. But that is a hard thing to do. <laughs> and, you know, this year in particular with the COVID-19, we're having to let go of our kids in various ways, letting them go back into school or not to school, letting them go off to college or not. But the fact is, is they're going into situations that we don't have a lot of control over. And so as there's this kind of extra layer of anxiety, we got in touch with our favorite anxiety expert, Jean Holthouse, who wrote a book on managing worry and anxiety. And we wanted to know from Jean, okay, what... Are some of the practical ways that we can let go of our kids right now? I think the first thing is you have to recognize it's normal to feel anxious in those spaces under normal circumstances. You have spent the last 18 years in various levels being responsible for this child's well-being. And all of a sudden you're going to let go of this child and you don't, it's untested yet. We don't know. Can they be okay on their own or not? We, we want to believe they can, but then there's some part of us that's scared they can't. So there's a lot of unknown there. And anytime there's an unknown, anxiety is a normal response because it says to us, there's a potential that there could be something that goes wrong. That's good so to know that it's normal because I have it. And I just, <laughs> I just, I'm really happy to know that in one circumstance, I am normal. It, well, yeah, just to be told that I'm not broken because I feel this way. It's mm-hmm. totally reasonable to be a little freaked out. It's It's a place of, are you going to then sit and worry about what you can't control or are you going to trust both your child and God and the other people in your child's life with what you can't Mm. control? Wow. And so when you feel anxiety, you always have to look at, okay, what's it trying to tell me? What's the problem it's trying to alert me to? And then is that actually my problem or is it someone else's or is it God's? I frequently, personally, like to play God. I don't like to trust God. (laughs) I want to play God because that way maybe it'll come out my way. And I'm not really sure I believe that God's going to make it come out my way. Even though in my head, I would say I believe that. My actions would say I don't. So it's that place of actively looking at, wait a minute, do I believe that God's got my child and that God cares more about my child than I do? And he doesn't promise it's going to go perfect, but he promises he's going to be in it. 
And he's going to be doing things in it that are for my good, for my child's good, for the community at large around my child's good. There's a lot of things we can't control in this world. Mm -hmm. I know because I've tried (laughs) and I have failed at controlling. And that can lead to anxiety, especially over this whole letting go of our kids during this age of coronavirus to go on to school. It has caused a lot of consternation, is causing a lot of consternation. Our friend Jean Holthouse says there's actually things that we can control. I think it's a great place to make sure you've had the conversations. It's important not to try to tell your child, especially your young adult child, what to do, because they don't like that so well. And if you think about it, I wouldn't like my mother telling me what to do because I'm an adult and I don't want her to tell me what to do. But I do like when someone asks me how I've been thinking about something. Mm. So to say, you know, how are you thinking about COVID as you go to college? What are you thinking you're going to want to do? Kind of investigating with them and hearing them think about it. Because they might not have thought about it, but if you operate from the place of, you know, I'm sure you've been thinking about this. What have you been thinking? It causes them to start thinking without you saying, you know, have you thought about what you'll do if? What if you don't like what they say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that's that place where you can look at, okay, I don't get to tell them what to do, but I can ask good questions about why they think that's okay. Mm -hmm. And maybe even say, well, but what if would that change? Oh, but what if is an okay question to ask? As long as you're not saying that accusatorily, um, I get that you would like to not ever have to wear a mask. But what if it's required by the school? Or what if there are people on your floor that maybe have been exposed? Would that change how you think about it? Such a good way to do it. Jen is (laughs) furiously scribbling down notes. She's going to start a fire in here. So our anxiety expert, Jean Holthouse, said one of the things that we can do uh, that we can control while we've got anxiety about letting go of our kids, especially off to college, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we can control is having conversations with them about what they are going to do and how they're going to stay healthy and things like that when they go off to college. And she stressed the importance of not telling them what to do, but... (laughs) kind of asking the right questions but what if this happens have you thought about what would happen if having the conversation our friend kelly has an even better thing to ask the very best statement is i wonder Mm. oh yes and maybe don't make eye contact because Ah! that might be too direct (laughs) (laughs) looks like you're really really making a statement there like approaching a wild animal (laughs) well teenage boys Wild animal. No, he just wants to make his own decision. So basically, I call that a hit and run. You say, I wonder, and you say something, and then you leave the room. Get out of there. You scram just for a while, because if you stand there and stare at them, that requires a response. Now, you might call it trash. I would call it treasure. But one one of the things that happened while I was gone was I found some treasure along the side of the road just that's that's where people put their treasure well you know we had I, some of the neighborhoods had their quote-unquote spring cleanup that happened in the summer yeah, just right? put your junk on the side of the road it's not all junk okay, put some, your another person's treasure on the side of the road some of it is junk some of it's not and uh we had been out i can't remember exactly what we were doing but it was me and it was my son it was my daughter and <laughs> my daughter's boyfriend and we were all in the car and all of a sudden I screeched to a halt in the middle of the road, and nice. it wasn't a fully trafficked road. It was a side road, and I screeched to a halt, and I said, Max, that's my daughter's boyfriend, Max, 
I want that. Go get that. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? I'm like, do you see that giant planter that somebody's throwing out? I want it. And he's like, yes, ma'am. Okay. And so he opens the door and I pop the trunk. And he first, he goes to get everything that they've put inside the planter. And I'm like, I don't want... Never mind. Just throw it in the back. <laughs> so poor Max in the middle of this residential street is grabbing this giant planter off the side of the road, sticking it in my back in the in the trunk, closing, jumping in the car. And my daughter is like, go, 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 go. <laughs> Tell me, does this make me weird? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Do we have to have a list? Well, I mean, okay. do, do, does this in particular, does this thing make me weird? Yes, whatever it is. Because we, we had spring cleanup in, in West Des Moines where you can put your things that you don't want in your house anymore that definitely aren't trash. Trash treasures. On the side of the road. It's People my can favorite pick them time up. of year. I love it because it's all free. And yes, waste management is going to come and like take away all the stuff that people don't pick. But the thought is some of your neighbors are going to reclaim some of your trash. Neighbors are people who come into your neighborhood from other places. They just come driving just drive through around with their look. pickup trucks. One guy was in our neighborhood with a trailer. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's treasures out there. I felt like we had a good haul of trash this year i mean we cleaned out our basement so good as in a lot or good as in you thought there was stuff out there that other people would want i thought there was some high quality trash there (laughs) i like we had we had an old bookshelf we had some chairs we had some kitchen cabinets we had a tall lamp that didn't have a bulb or a shade but it was tall so i thought people could have used that oh and jen nobody took my trash oh no I think, like, they took one light fixture, and another guy just turned down a light bulb because it was cracked, and I'm... Oh, my word. You're sitting here upset about the fact that nobody took the trash. I know I didn't want it in my house, but I thought surely someone somewhere would have wanted it in theirs, but they didn't. My trash was too trashy for everybody else. (laughs) Now, I assume there's a lot of things that you could take personally. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that you could take it to this level. I feel like people should have taken the junk I put on the side of the road. It like was, it's that's a thing. You put stuff out there, you can have it if you want. It is free. It costs you nothing to put this in the back of your car and you don't want my rejected kitchen cabinets. <laughs> you are so insecure about that. But Pam knows somebody who can relate to me. One year during spring cleanup, my friend was very upset that nobody was taking his stuff and they were taking everybody else's. So he went to go find some better stuff to put on the curb. (laughs) (laughs) So his wife is like, why are you taking that out? Because nobody's taking the other stuff. Right, right. (laughs) I get some better junk. Do you understand what, I mean, literally the man was like, I'm going to go in and get rid of my stuff that I kind of wanted just because I want somebody to pick from my trash pile. Jen, sometimes you have (laughs) to step up your junk game. That's that's what you got to do. Oh my goodness gracious, you guys. It's it's about priorities. What priorities? That your trash is better than your neighbor's trash? I just want my neighbors to know that some of the stuff I reject is good enough for them to accept. Like, I think it's a status thing. Oh my Like, if if nobody wants your trash, what does that say about your treasure? Nothing. The Joneses are too far ahead, Jen. The Joneses have better trash than mine. It says nothing about your treasure. Taylor, your insecurity about trash, our friend Kelly thinks you might be looking at it the wrong way. It's a wrong thought to think that nobody wants your junk because I think that God just hasn't sent the right person yet. (laughs) Oh, is that how I need to look at it?
Yes, because when Mike, our kids were little, I could never remember the junk day. I mean, obviously that would have been good, but I thought, you know what? We don't need the junk day because God already knows who wants this. So when my kids would outgrow like their high chair or the stroller, my husband said no. So of course I waited till he went to work. Naturally. And then the kids and I would like say a prayer. We would like take the stroller outside, say a prayer for whoever was going to take it that day. And then we would just go about our business and our kids would know that God would send whoever wanted it to come get it. And? And I was just praying that God would send them before my husband came home. <laughs> there is something traumatic happening at my house right now. What's, what's going on, Jen? My daughter, whom I love, who's also 18, is going to be living with me while she takes classes at DMAC next semester. My daughter, whom I love, came to me and said, Mama? Which she says sometimes jokingly because she wants something. And she knows you're going to be opposed to it. Mama, I want a snake. What? I want a pet snake. I have wanted a pet snake for so long, Mom. I promise I will take care of it. I've looked into all the expenses. I can get a terrarium. I can get the frozen mice. I can feed it myself. We have just the perfect conditions that I can set up in the basement. And they don't get that big, Mom. Mom, I want a pet snake. Oh, boy. I was just like... What kind of snake is she thinking? I don't know. Something that grows really long and it eats eats a snake. And we eat a snake. It's the kind that goes and slithers. slithers. How's that again? (laughs) Never mind. But I mean, seriously, my daughter wants a pet snake. I am, I'm not 100% opposed. I'm like 3,000% opposed. Okay. I don't want this. But she's 18 and she's laid out this really great, you know, return on investment pros and cons kind of thing. And I mean, my only my only con is I don't like snakes. <laughs> it's valid. I don't like snakes. A snake. Yeah, pet snake. Who has a pet snake? Well, it might be me because my daughter says she wants a pet snake and now my son says it too. And Larry wants to prepare you for what it might be like. When I was in Youth for Christ, we were in charge of the haunted house and one of the guys was taking care of the tarantula. I had the snake. Now, it was a box snake, and I had to go to church the next morning. So I put it in a bag. I went to church, and, uh, well, people were wondering. My friends were all wondering, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? In the middle of the church, this wonderful <laughs> friend of mine who has very great lungs decided to tap the bag, and it went straight up in the air. <laughs> This is a Nazarene church, and boy, I think a lot of a lot of people got filled with the spirit at that moment. <laughs> okay, so, that does not make me want a pet snake well, anymore, just, Larry. Just tell Piper not to bring it to church with her, <laughs> and you're good to go. I think a lot of people would be happy with that. And- I cannot believe I'm in this predicament. <laughs> she has always loved reptiles or amphibians she's always preferred slimy stuff to furry stuff so now my daughter who's 18 and is going to live with me while she goes to dmac wants a pet snake well listen steven has a pet snake and it's been going well for him i have a pet bull snake bull snake okay Okay. tell me they have little rattlers on the end and they but they're not poisonous they just (laughs) rattle to scare you away (laughs) 
<laughs> would, would work on Jen. I believe it's a she because she lives in the garage and around the garage and has babies every year. <laughs> and I'm guessing from the skin that I found in the uh, in the grass, she's about four foot long. You're just finding snake skin. Yeah, it's a it's a quote unquote pet that that lives around my house, but you know I didn't ask for it. <laughs> but Jen can come take it. She I can get it for Piper. It. But it has a rattle, Jen. She's only a foot shorter than I am. Rattles are good for children. <laughs> when your daughter comes to you and says, "Mom, I want a pet snake," <laughs> you do what any mom would do. You ask all your friends to tell you why you shouldn't have a snake. But we're getting more reasons why you should. You've got experience with this, Billy? Oh, I used to have them as a kid. You did? Yeah, I did. We had what the king snakes. We had one that was probably about five foot long. Um, so uh, did you keep it in the house in a terrarium? Yeah, we just, I mean, it stayed in the house and we took it out and played with it. How do you play with a snake? <laughs> Carry it around, let it crawl on your hands and, you know, crawl around on the floor. Jen is Jen is really struggling with this. Did it get under couches? Did it ever get away? Were you ever like spending the no. night wondering where is the snake? No, we never let it get away. So do you think I should say yes to my daughter? Do you think this is a good thing? Well, if you get one, do not get a python. <laughs> they will get bigger than you think, quicker than you think. And they can get out of control. Oh, super. Good to know. It's a little bit like having children. (laughs) It is. Only children that can eat your pets. (laughs) Dr. Heidi, I was talking with my friend Robin recently, and uh, she and her husband and her two daughters have essentially been sheltered in place because they both work from home and the girls haven't been going out since March. And I asked, how are you doing? And she just kind of (laughs) went... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and i think a lot of people's reaction to all of this is <laughs> none of us want to say in front of our loved ones that we are you know kind of tired of being in the same domicile with them all the time but a lot of us are feeling that way well the truth is no one person can meet all of your relationship needs and we intuitively know this but we've been forced into a situation where one or two people have been having to meet all of our relationship needs mm. yeah it has disrupted that natural rhythm of moving close to our family stepping away from them for school or for work and then coming back absence does make the heart grow fonder even when it's eight hours a day or six hours a day or whatever <laughs> it is and we don't have absence right now so there's no heart growing fonder happening So what do we do about that then? The first piece is grace, recognizing that this is a pressure cooker situation. And if it feels hard, it's because it is hard. We need grace for ourselves. We need grace for our spouse. They're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. And then the second piece that I think is trying to brainstorm ways of adding in some of those natural rhythms in new ways. You're not going to leave for work, but how can you talk with each other and see, okay, what is the piece from our natural rhythm from before that we're missing? If you're an extrovert, maybe it's talking to the 10 people in your office. If you're an introvert, maybe it's that drive home or that being away or, or that separation that you've had. And then talking to, okay, what is your ask? What is the thing that I need to ask from you to help me stay sane in this? Maybe it's an hour reading a book with no interruptions on the back patio. Or maybe it's a trip out to get groceries that ends up getting a coffee and reading a book or, or talking to a friend in a parking lot. If you can label, okay, what are the things that I'm really missing? And then what would it look like to not completely recreate, 
but pseudo recreate those dynamics in a different context. Basically figure out what needs you were getting met before coronavirus and find a new way to meet that need. And again, it's not going to be perfect, but if especially if you're an introvert at home, you're getting no alone time, most likely. Nope. Right. So being able to label that, put words to that and say, I just feel really overwhelmed when I walk out of my office and there's a two second commute instead of a 30 minute <laughs> commute. That's a huge shift, a huge difference in saying, OK, how can we address that legitimate need? What we're asking for are legitimate needs. And so we shouldn't be afraid to communicate this to the other people in our house. I have a couple of friends that are choosing to suffer in silence. They don't want to say anything to their husbands. They don't want to say anything to their kids because we are all, quote, in this together. But I, I think maybe we're missing an opportunity to actually communicate our needs very openly. And they are legitimate needs, as you just said. Our families do care about us. We might be sick of each other, but we still care about each other. Right. And so having that honest conversation before you lose your mind and saying, hey, I feel like I'm getting to the edge. I need a break. I need someone else to cook dinner tonight. I need Mm -hmm. someone else to fold the laundry or whatever that ask is. This is a chance for us to deepen our connections with each other and also deepen our vulnerability where none of us are superwoman. None of us are super dad or super husband or super kids, right? How can we give grace to each other in our human familiness? Often it makes sense. It's just a bit off and it's funny. Things that kids say. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So kids have their own vocabulary. I have a friend on Facebook, and she said yesterday that uh, a, a child in her life, grandchild, calls her nostrils snortzels. And that's amazing <laughs> because that's accurate. I know. They're, they're I what know. you snortzel through. <laughs> And that's the thing. As a parent or oh, a grandparent, when they say things like that, you're I mean, do you do you correct them? No, you start using it as a family. <laughs> nostrils is not a word anymore because the child has improved upon human anatomy. Who needs a nostril when you can have a snortzel? Kids should be in charge of naming things. Oh, be very careful like, about that one. Take a seven year old, you know, and it's it's like Adam all over again. You get to name all of it, buddy. Does it really matter? How they come up with it? No. No. It's just when kids come up with a funny vocabulary and then it turns into your family vocabulary, it's priceless. My niece, who lives in Pennsylvania and visits not so often, when she was younger, she would come home and stay with us. One time she was back and she's running through the house saying, chicken milk, chicken milk, chicken milk. Chicken milk. And I'm looking at her going, what are you talking about? And I said, okay, honey, can you show Aunt Tracy? So she's going to the fridge and she points to the white milk and then she goes to my pantry and points to the Nesquik and says chicken milk. And what she was trying to say was chocolate milk. And (laughs) I was so, I just laughed hysterically. And so ever since then, my daughter loves chocolate milk. And so in our family, it's now chicken milk. Chicken milk. They're not nostrils anymore. They shall now heretofore be known as snortstrels. Because <laughs> my friend's kid says they're not nostrils, they're snortstrels. And really, when you think about it, that's kind of what they should be called. And we want to know what your kids are renaming things for you. When my daughter was little, we were headed over to a family member's house, and she asked if she could push the ding bell button. And I couldn't figure out what she was talking about. 
And she's eight now, and she still refers to the doorbell as a ding bell button. <laughs> There's a few ding bells in my life I'd well, like to I mean, push, but... <laughs> I'm right here, Jen. This has been the Taylor and Jen Podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.